buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the GlobalX Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Hello, I'm Arit Anderson. Welcome back to Growing Greener, the podcast that explores small steps we can take in our gardens to help make big changes in the environment. In this episode, we're going to bring the outdoors indoors. We're discussing low-carbon cut flowers. Flowers are so important, they play a central part in our gardens, art, books and most of our significant memories around the world. Colourful, full of scent, architectural, from birthdays through weddings to funerals, they help us mark the big milestones in our life journey. But at what cost? With many of cut flowers available in our shops being reared intensively in the UK or in Kenya with pesticides, fertilisers and heated glass houses leaching carbon, the environmental price on our floral vases can be very high indeed. Are there any alternative ways to grow or source our own sustainable bouquets? My guest today believes there are greener alternatives. Celestina Robinson is a passionate, eco-conscious flower grower. The founder of a low-carbon flower farm, Cell has inspiring, practical solutions to raising glorious flowers for display and scent all year long. Hi, Cell. Welcome to Growing Greener. It is great to have you actually in the studio with me, in person, to talk all things flowers. <laughs> Hi, Arit. Thanks very much for inviting me to come and talk to you today. I could talk about cut flowers all day. <laughs> I know. We're going to have to watch ourselves, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an important subject, um, flowers, because we all love them, whether we're growing them in the garden. And certainly, I'm sure like most people, there is nothing better than being bought a beautiful bunch of flowers. But I think today we've really got to cut to the chase and understand literally the environmental cost of taking those, getting those flowers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, flowers are such an integral part of our lives and cultures right across the world. 
you know, they're a significant part of those significant life events, um, weddings, births, funerals. And there's really nothing more joyful than being presented with a bunch of flowers. But there are serious issues about the sustainability of our cut flower industry, how those flowers are produced and transported across the world. The industry is a global industry. It provides employment for uh, growers and florists right across the world. People are reliant on that industry for their livelihoods. But really, there are serious issues with that long-term sustainability for the industry and how it's going to be able to continue in the future with the considerations that we have now about climate change and about all of the earth system crises that we're facing. So biodiversity loss, habitat loss, species extinction, you know, looking at water use, land use change, all of those things are impacted by the cut flower industry. And we really need to think about the impact that our cut flower industry has and the other costs of that industry um, and the impact it has on the environment and communities um, that it touches. Well, I think that's the thing. It's so big. And the the key word there that you sort of was talking about is cost. Because I always think about the fact that often we want something now. That's where we're, we're in a world where we want something now. And we don't necessarily want to pay the actual price of what it should be. You know, we can go into supermarkets, you know, I can see, you know, British grown flowers that might be there and they'll be really cheap, for example. Um, but other other than that, you know, the classic one is being able to go into a supermarket or a florist and being able to buy roses in February <laughs> for that good old Valentine's. Now, that's just that's just not normally what would be happening, is it? Yes, and that's for consumers. We really need to be considering not just the cost that we're paying at the till for our flowers, but all of the other costs that that product entails. So there's a real environmental cost that comes with a bunch of flowers. Um, And I don't think that lots of people realise how high the carbon footprint of their flowers is. Um, And that's one of the things we really need to consider, particularly at this time, you know, when we're considering the impact of the climate crisis um, that we're in at the moment. So I think what lots of people don't realise is that the carbon footprint of a rose, for example, at Valentine's Day is something like 2.4 kilos of carbon emissions in that carbon footprint. And if you compare that to a banana, for example, which is also a product that is imported, the emissions or the carbon footprint of a banana is 110 grams. That's significantly lower. Now, bananas are grown outside in natural conditions in the season that they would usually be growing in those areas close to the equator. But they are easy to store. They are shipped by sea transport, which works out to about 1% of the carbon emissions of air transport. Mm -hmm. So that means that they actually have a really low carbon footprint. But cut flowers... Because they've got such a short shelf life and they're a really perishable product, some of those are grown in natural conditions, say in Kenya, for example, where most of the roses in the UK come from. They're grown in the natural conditions in Kenya, but they're flown to the UK, which bumps up the carbon footprint of that product. 
But one of the other hot spots when you're thinking about the carbon footprint of flowers in particular is the requirement for refrigeration right through that logistics chain. So those flowers, if they're cut in those countries close to the equator, they need to be cooled as quickly as possible to start the preservation of that vase life for the end user. Right through the shipping process and the transportation process, they are um, cooled and kept at a certain temperature that whole time. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of energy, which of course bumps up the carbon footprint and the emissions created in the transportation of that product. And then, of course, you know, those, that product, as you say, it's got a short shelf life. There'll be the waste in the stores of what doesn't get sold. And then maybe somebody gets them home and forgets to put them in water. And, and then, you know, it becomes a real heavy waste. 45% of cut flowers are actually wasted before they get to sale. And that's because they are either damaged or die in transit before they actually get to the point of sale. So if you think that almost half of the flowers that are produced and are actually then cut and shipped and transported get thrown away before they even get to sale, that's a massive proportion of waste that the industry um, is creating. And of course, there's a huge carbon footprint attached to that product that's sort of going straight into into either compost if it's being disposed of properly or landfill. That's an astonishing figure. And, you know, at the moment we are having to go through these really difficult facts because people need to understand what it takes to get a, a cut flower onto onto our shelf. So I really thought this is really interesting to kind of understand the impact that it's having. As you mentioned, places like Kenya, you know, is one of the one of the big countries in the world that export. Um, whether it's also obviously in Holland, etc. I mean, obviously, this contributes to their GDP and it contributes to their economy and it contributes to their workers. I mean, someone in in Kenya, you know, um, hundred thousand people apparently working directly in the flower industry, and an estimated two million people indirectly. So this is also supporting livelihoods because for the industries to be that big and for us to be paying a small price really for a flower, I wonder about the fair trade and the social aspect of it as well. Now, when you think about the economics of the cut flower industry in Kenya, it's the second largest export, horticultural export after tea. So it is supporting a significant part of that population. The industry actually has been doing a lot of work to improve conditions for workers and also to improve production on industrial scale flower farms. I mean, there's all sorts of work on the environmental side relating to energy use. So for example, using solar panels to create the energy that's needed for the production of the cut flowers, limiting chemical use on flower farms as well. So for example, there is, there's no limit to the number or the type of chemicals that can be used in cut flower production because they're not an edible crop. But lots of flower farms, and particularly those fair trade farms, they have guidelines for the reduction of chemical use. So that's obviously of a benefit not just for the environment, but for the people that are involved in the production of those flowers. There's lots of work done for looking at water use on flower farms as well, um, particularly 
particularly because cut flowers have a huge water footprint. So a rose grown in Kenya, for example, will have a water footprint of nine litres of water, which is huge when you think about that water being exported from Kenya for sale in Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. And Kenya at the moment is experiencing drought. So that's a real an issue of real concern. But there's lots of work being done to look at water use, um, to look at recycling water systems as well. So you're not taking water constantly out of natural systems. So there is a lot of that really good work being done. So if you're looking for flowers with a higher sort of ethical standard and um, production standard environmentally, searching for fair trade flowers, flowers certified by the Rainflorist Alliance or Flaverd, if you're looking for flowers from South America, for example, those certification systems, if you're looking out for one of those, that will ensure that you're buying flowers with a higher ethical or environmental standard. But here in the UK, the stats say that currently only 2% of the flowers purchased here in the UK are certified fair trade. So really, we need to educate the consumer a little bit more about what they're buying so that we can increase the percentage of these higher standard flowers being purchased here. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. No, that's really useful. And I think people who are listening to the podcast will want to know what can they do. Because obviously, we've you know, that's kind of quite a gloomy picture about such a, an amazing plant and um, that we love having in our lives. It's in, like you say, it's in the fabric of our very beings. So let's think about how we can do some good here with cut flowers. I mean, you know, I love cut flowers. And what's been really interesting to me is I've been getting to know more people like yourselves, really getting to know the the flower farmers and hearing a lot more about floriculture. There is there is a movement, isn't there, where people are trying to kind of turn this, this big tide of, of how we have been originally getting flowers to people. Yes. And I'm a cut flower grower and I'm part of what's called the slow flowers movement. And this movement has developed since the early 2010s. And it's sort of a a response to that, the wider cut flower industry and the impact that it has on the environment. And what we're trying to do is grow a seasonal product because really that seasonality is the first step to sustainability. And with the work that we're doing, we're trying to foster a much closer connection to the seasons and to the natural environment and build those relationships with our customers so that they can understand the impacts of their cut flower purchases um, and make perhaps better decisions for their cut flower buying in the future. So that's you know you said then about this sort of um, that slowing down and and being much more in tune with nature and the flowers that are available at that time. So this sort of time of the year, September, going into you know into Christmas, obviously when 
traditionally in our own gardens, things are beginning to slow down, as it were, quite literally. How would your farm um, be producing? What would you be producing? From the autumn through to the end of October, which is when our season ends, actually, it's a really lovely time of year for flowers. Dahlias are our biggest crop and chrysanthemums as well. Lovely heritage varieties of chrysanthemums take us right through to the end of October. But one of my favourite things at this time of year are grasses because they provide wonderful texture and just a different dynamic to use within sort of seasonal arranging. Well, I, you know, I am a dahlia girl. I mean, I, I love I love this time of year and I, I do really love dahlias. If people are listening to this and, you know, we've just brought to their awareness, you know, that there is a big impact of buying cut flowers. Of course, we still want people to have flowers. What are some of the things that they can, people can do to start to, to grow their own kind of low carbon footprint flowers? Well, if you're growing cut flowers in your own garden for the home, your flowers are going to have the lowest possible carbon footprint of any of the flowers that you could search out and purchase. You can grow flowers even if you have a balcony with a single container. If you have a dahlia plant, for example, in a container, that's a cut-and-come-again plant, so it's going to provide you with cut stems over a number of weeks. But if you're lucky enough to have a little garden or even a larger garden, you can dedicate space to a little cut flower plot and there's a whole range of annuals and perennial plants that you can grow so that you can supply flowers for your home right through from the spring till the autumn. Yeah, because I think people get worried about the fact that they always think of big cutting gardens and, you know, walled gorgeousness that you've got to have to be able to do that. But, you know, I've got a small garden. So is there any of your sort of sales tricks and tips, if you like, in terms of how to to kind of get the most out of a, a small space? So if you've got a small garden, a really good thing to do is to look for cut flower varieties that are cut and come again. And that means that the more stems that you cut for your house the more stems those plants will produce for you. So sweet peas are ideal for this. And again, sweet peas you can grow in a pot um, if you've not got much bed space in a garden or outside in the garden, you can grow them up a wigwam and they will produce lovely scented flowers for the vase for weeks on end. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do smell delicious, I actually have to say. You've written a book, Sal, called Cut Flowers. What was your inspiration about writing this book? Well, I wanted to help people to grow cut flowers for themselves at home. And one of the real motivations for writing the book was to help people to understand different aspects of sustainability and to help them to think about growing in as sustainable a way as possible. Well, I think it definitely ticks all those boxes. In terms of crop rotation, if you know somebody's got a slightly bigger um, garden, because I know you've, you've talked about that in your book and it was quite fascinating. Do you want to talk to us about that? Well, lots of people don't realise that if you're growing annual flowers um, as part of your crop selection, you have to rotate those annual varieties just as you would rotate your vegetables in a veg plot. And that's because they fall into different family groups. So 
crops like Dorcas, for instance, that's part of the carrot family, and that's um, susceptible to carrot fly attack and all of those diseases that affect carrots as well. So that has to be rotated in exactly the same way you'd rotate your carrot crop. Sweet Rocket, which is a biennial, that is part of the cabbage family. So again, that's susceptible to club root um, and other brassica diseases. So again, that would have to be rotated in exactly the same way. So on my plot, I rotate all of my annual crops so that they're never in the same bed, you know, in subsequent years. And I've got a rotation that means they probably don't come back into the same beds for seven to eight years. But that's because I'm growing lots of different crops. (laughs) So I've got a much larger rotation. And within that rotation, I'm also trying to incorporate green manure crops. And that helps to build the organic matter in the soil to put some of that fertility back that we're taking out when we're growing our crops. It's good that you're sort of saying about the the green manure, because obviously flowers will take quite a lot of uh, feed and nutrient they would need in there. So in terms of, say, watering, for example, as well, you know, the watering regimes with um, growing sort of if you want to grow cut flowers, have you got any tips that you've you found about on those? There's a sort of a general rule that if you're producing cut flowers and you're wanting to produce any sort of quality, they need an average of an inch of water per week. So in most cases throughout the UK, we get fairly decent rainfall. Um, So you don't have to do too much additional irrigation. Last year, obviously, we had that drought through the summer um, and incredibly hot weather. So it was difficult to actually keep on top of the watering with my cut flower crops. But one thing I use, I use drip tape to irrigate my crops. And I don't use overhead watering because that can be quite wasteful. The overhead watering, you get quite a lot of water evaporation before that water even hits the soil. But also overhead watering for cut flowers can encourage fungal problems um, and can damage the blooms, which you really obviously don't want to do. So I use drip tape, which is laid on the soil. And that water is then going directly into the soil and into the roots, which is where that water's needed. No, that's great because I think the watering regime is something that is so important, especially last year. It was ridiculous. You know, I've just sort of heard awful horror stories of poor flower crops going away. And it's really funny actually talking about flower crops. It's <laughs> sort of like this harvesting of flowers and stuff um, as opposed to just sort of like flowers in the borders. But... Yeah, the watering regime is is clearly important for people to consider yes. if they do want to have a little bit more of a dedicated area just for flowers, cut flowers. But one really good thing you can do to help water retention in the soil is to mulch your soil and keep it covered um, at all times. So whether that's with um, compost or something like straw, and that really helps to keep the moisture at the soil level. So I think it's you know really good to encourage people to grow even if it's only a few of their own flowers. But in terms of the the feeding regime, because obviously that yeah you know, these plants are going to need feeding, what do you feed with? 
Well, I'm on really light sandy soil, which doesn't retain nutrients easily. And of course, with quite intensive cropping, you are taking a lot of nutrient away. And because we want to grow in a more regenerative rather than extractive way, and we want to steward our soil carefully, we do add some amendments. So I use um, a combination of seaweed meal, which is um, really high in trace elements. So that's really good for a range of different minerals that the plants would need. And I use also use pelleted, organic pelleted chicken manure. And that's sort of higher in nitrogen. So that gives the plants a good boost at the beginning of the season. But I also use a range of cover crops to help to build organic matter in the soil but also for some cover crops that are nitrogen fixing for example they will actually fix nitrogen from the air and when you cut those down the nitrogen that's attached to the uh, root nodules um, that's within the soil that will be released and taken up by the next crop that goes into that bed. That's amazing. What sort of nitrogen-fixing plants would you put in? So anything that's a legume is really good to use. Lupins, field beans and field peas, forage crops, vetch as well is really good. I also use other cover crops that are not necessarily nitrogen-fixing, but things like phacelia and oats as well, particularly for overwintering and making sure that there's a cover crop in the bed over the winter season as well. Yeah, which is, I guess, important in terms of making sure that you're also keeping carbon into the ground as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and making sure that you've got like that soil. It's all about the soil, isn't it? Making sure that everything's yeah. still coming from the, literally the ground up, which is so important. Yeah, it's really important for us to try and keep the soil covered at all times. But if you can have plants with living roots in the soil, that's even better. Yeah. And, it, and that also, again, is going to help all of the microbiology as well um, be retained within the soil as well. So, oh, it's exciting, isn't it, being able to grow some of these, <laughs> grow these flowers our, ourselves, obviously. This whole notion of wanting to bring the outdoors indoors, really. So there is that lovely, you know, cutting your own flowers. 5am, does it have to really be that, Sal? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you can cut your flowers in the cool of the day, so whether that's very early in the morning or a little bit later in the evening, especially in high summer, um, you don't want to be cutting your flowers in the middle of the day because they will really be stressed. And remember, you're cutting them off from their water source at the roots. So you need to be able to get them straight into water so they are starting to take up that water and stay hydrated. Do they need to actually go into to the fridge once you get them once you get them at, at high? No, or? so they don't need to go into the fridge, but they do need to go into cool water, and then really to stand somewhere cool and dark. If you put them somewhere dark, that reduces the rate of transpiration, which means that they're able to take up that water and then remain turgid and well hydrated before you start arranging with them. And that's important again, that's all part of being sustainable because it means you're you're trying to prolong the life yes. of the plants as well so that you that they, they're with you for longer rather than keep cutting and having to keep sort of uh, servicing the garden with it, which makes total sense. Obviously the fun part is the um, arrangement and you know whether it's you've just received them or whether you are actually going to have your own flowers. Now things like floral foam that have been used in flower arrangements before there are things you know where people have been using uh, chemicals to prolong the life of their flowers 
All of these things, what are your views about these? Because this presumably all comes back to environmental impact. Yes. Again, one of the issues with the cut flower industry is that there might be lots of chemicals used in the production of the flowers, but what lots of people don't realise is that once those flowers are cut, they are then put into chemical solutions to either hold them and stop them from opening in transport, and then they're put into opening solutions to open them up when they get to shops. They may have been sprayed by fungicides when going through biosecurity, if they're having to cross borders. So there are lots of chemicals in the post-harvest handling part of the cut flower chain. If you're growing flowers for yourself, you're going to eliminate the use of those chemicals. What leads to your cut flowers dying quickly is the build-up of bacteria in the vase. So what you want to do is really keep everything as scrupulously clean as possible because that will stop the bacteria limiting the vase life of your flowers. So I know that floral foam has been used quite a lot in the um, industry, certainly by florists, and, and maybe some people at home have also used it. It's very easy to, to put the flower stems into the foam, fill up with water, and everything looks gorgeous. But floral foam is another plastic, isn't it? So how, how else can people um, display their flowers in in a vase at home, for example? Floral foam is used widely in the cut flower industry for arranging flowers, but that really has a detrimental impact on the environment. It's a single-use plastic, so once it's been used once, it's going to go into landfill and just hundreds of tonnes of floral foam goes into landfill every year in the industry. One of the other critical points about using this material is that it's also breaks down to microplastic pollution where floral foam blocks are often soaked in water and that wastewater is then poured down the drain those microplastic particles go through our water system and end up in marine environments um, and that's really really damaging. There are a whole range of different sustainable mechanics that can be used to help you display your flowers. Items such as floral frogs can be used. A pin frog is a device that can be used to sort of impale those stems on, but it helps to hold them in place in a vase. Chicken wire can be used um, in various ways to provide sort of an armature for you to put the flower stems through to, again, hold them into place. And they're very, very easy mechanics to use and reuse time and time again. And that really helps cut down that use of flower foam. So one really interesting thing in the wider industry is that organisations like the RHS, for example, have banned the use of floral foam at their shows. And that's actually a real marker of change in the industry. And hopefully with the demonstration of sustainable mechanics in places like the RHS shows, that's going to show people a way of being able to display their flowers using these sustainable mechanics in the future. No, that's a really good point, actually, because I'm. I remember being at the uh, whether I'm at Chelsea or you know at Tatton, and, and the floral displays are always really interesting, and it's really creative seeing how the florists whether they're using twigs as well. They might, you know, they, they, there's all sorts that go on. It's really been quite ingenious to see. It feels like it goes with these beautiful flowers that we're loving, but that it's so important that we understand um, what it takes to get them on our shelves. Now. 
thinking about British flowers, and let's talk about those for a moment, in terms of what we should really be expecting to see in our bouquets throughout the year. So, you know, we're in we're in September time now. We talk about dailies. Just just give me a bit of a visual appetite as to what we should really be looking at um, seasonally so that we could be a bit more tuned to that. Well, this time of year, the dahlias are a specialty. So we've also got perennials such as Symphotrichum and Rudbeckia, other annuals as well, such as Ami and Dorcas, all providing a real range of texture and different shapes within our autumn floral arrangements. And then if we sort of, you know, flip over the other side of Christmas and then when we get into spring, because obviously I'm, I'm conscious that the, the flower season does start a bit later for you know, British growers. But of course, there is the lovely dried flowers, isn't there? Sort of in, in the middle bit, we could start drying maybe some of our flowers, those dahlias to keep us going until the spring. <laughs> yes, it's really been interesting over the past few years to see the rising popularity of dried flowers again. They're not those sort of dusty, brightly coloured arrangements that we think of sort of thinking back to the 1980s. It's been really interesting to see people using dried flowers out of season and they're a real reminder of the abundance of summer in the depths of winter. I mean, I've got dried flowers in, in the house. I love them. I mean, you know, and the, and they do, and they're little gap fillers until, <laughs> until the next lot come, come along, really. But, you know, what I really um, want to know from yourself is we're not going to give up flowers because we love them. You know, we love flowers, but we do obviously have to be aware we have to have this awareness about their environmental impact and it's not just a pretty flower sitting on a shelf. What would be the one change that we could all make that you think would be getting us on that road to being more sustainable about our cut flowers? Well, actually, one thing I think that the industry could do to help is actually look at what can be purchased from a British grower, even through the winter season. Now, something actually that we can do in the UK right through the year is grow foliage. And Foliage is an integral part of floral arranging. So customers are always going to want to purchase flowers out of season. And in fact, those three key dates for cut flower sales through the year are actually Christmas and Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, which they all fall outside of the main British growing season. So thinking about where we can bring sustainably grown British seasonal material into arrangements and balancing those with the imported flowers that we can't grow out of season here in the UK is one way forward to actually improving the sustainability and the overall carbon footprint of the UK flower industry. Yeah, that's really, really good point. And I think, all guess, I guess, even ourselves, isn't it, in terms of there's the industry doing that. And even if we're buying our own bunch of flowers, there may just be that thing in the garden, that foliage or, you know, those extra little plants that we've grown. And we can bolster that into our vase and reduce its footprint. So that's brilliant. Yeah, really, really useful. Well, it has been brilliant to talk to you and... You know, who'd have thought that there was all of this going on with an innocent um, flower? But I think it's great, Sel, because it's made me really think about um, how, you know, how important the garden is to bring a little bit of that love indoors. Don't always leave it in the border. I can bring my own flowers in. And also as well, just sort of 
given us a joy. He just took us through these lovely flowers. I was like that. Yes. Can't wait for spring. (laughs) (laughs) You've given us so much today. So thank you so much. Thank you, really. It's been a real pleasure to come and speak to you about cut flower growing today. Thanks, Harriet. Make sure to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. New episodes will be released every Thursday. For more information on everything we've discussed today, go to gardenersworld.com 